Hi, and welcome to another episode of Questions. My name is Nathan Elam. I'm your host. And we wanted to take a quick moment to remind you to like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We would love to hear from you uh, in the future with your questions that you have for Pastor Joel. Today's question is in from Jane, and her question is regarding apostleship. Pastor Joel had recently in a sermon addressed this very topic, and so we thought that we would put that clip online in this format to answer this question. So today's question from Jane is, there seems to be a lot of confusion surrounding the subject of apostles. Do apostles still exist today as they did in scripture? Let's tune in as Pastor Joel answers this question. Let's talk about apostleship. Because certainly there is a debate in the church today. There are some who believe that apostles are still at large, that we still have apostles today. I firmly believe that we do not. However, it's a little muddy because if we're honest, right, if, if, we're, if we get technical for a moment, the New Testament uses this word apostle in at least two different ways. And I think that's where some of the confusion seeps in. So let's just discuss for a moment apostleship as the term is used in the New Testament. Now, I've written this. The word apostle is used in the narrow sense, right? In the narrow sense to refer to the 12 and to Paul. Now, each of these men were, there's a biblical criteria for this kind of apostleship using the term apostleship in the narrow sense. There's a biblical criteria that must be met in order to be an apostle in this sense of the term. It's the 12 and it's Paul. That's it. 13 apostles in this sense of the term apostle. And the biblical criteria for being apostle an apostle was this. These men were eyewitnesses of the risen Lord. We see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 21 through 22, as well as 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. But not only that, they were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord, right? Jesus appeared to the 11, right? The 12 minus Judas. And, and we're, we're, we're meant to believe that, that he also appeared to Matthias in some sense. And we know that Christ appeared at a later time, last of all, least of all, Paul says, to Paul. That, that Jesus appeared in the flesh to Paul. Paul was an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord, not at the same time and not alongside, not with the 12, but at a later time, Jesus did in fact appear to Paul. So the first criteria for an apostle in the narrow sense of the word is that these men were eyewitnesses of the risen Lord. Secondly, these men regularly performed confirming signs and wonders. Confirming signs and wonders. We see this point validated in texts of Scripture such as 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Now, you might be thinking in the early church, though, there were many who were endowed sovereignly by the Holy Spirit with spiritual gifts. There were many who prayed for the sick and saw them made well. There were many, certainly, that prophesied the gift of prophecy. Many spoke in tongues. But but notice, I'm being very intentional about the language that I'm using. The second biblical criteria for an apostle of Christ, an apostle in the narrow sense of the word, is that they regularly 
Not, not just a, a miracle here or there, but they frequently, often, regularly performed confirming signs and wonders. Right? Not just they had the gift of tongues or they had the gift of prophecy, but signs and wonders. It was regular and it was big. That, that's, those are kind of the, the two main details that I'm putting in here. There were many in the New Testament early church that had sign gifts of the Holy Spirit, such as prophecy or tongues. But the apostles didn't just have these sign gifts. They performed miraculous, incredible, massive scale signs and wonders, confirming signs and wonders that confirmed their apostleship. They did big things and they did these big things regularly. Let me give an example. Although there were individuals who spoke in tongues and had the gift of prophecy outside of these 13 apostles, we do not find text in the New Testament suggesting that entire villages would line up on the side of an alley, right? So somehow they would hijack, they would, they would come into knowledge of a New Testament Christian's itinerary, his schedule. And they would figure out what time of the day he was going to be passing through a village and, and which, which roads, right, which route he was going to be taking so that the entire village could line up on that road so that perhaps his shadow might pass over them and they would be healed. Many people, what I'm saying is this, many people in the New Testament church had sign gifts, but not like that. <laughs> it just didn't. Not like that, but Peter did. Right? That, that's not just, that wasn't hyperbole. That was an actual biblical example referencing the apostle Peter. Just his shadow passing over people made them well. We're not talking about a prayer of petition, right? A prayer of petition is, it's a request. It's when we ask God for something. Well, the New Testament church, even still to this day, my church, we pray for the sick. But when we pray, there's a difference in a prayer of petition versus a prayer of declaration, right? When we pray, we are asking God to heal someone, knowing that he may and he may not. And if he does heal that person, we don't say that, oh, so-and-so who prayed has a gift of healing and they're now able to heal on demand. And the very next person they pray for, you know, we can rest assured and have confidence that they'll be healed too. See, that, that's different. Prayers for the sick are are. are well, it's just, it's not only is it permissible, it's, it's mandated in scripture. I think of James 5, is any among you sick? Take him to the elders. I think that applies, that's not just for the early church, but that applies still to this day. We do have a healing God. Right? At the end of the day, we pray, your will be done, not mine. And sometimes God heals, and sometimes in his sovereignty, he chooses not to. For his good and holy and wise purposes. But God does still sometimes heal. But there's a difference in prayers of petition, requesting God to heal, coming from not just one, you know, magical, mystical person, but rather from the corporate church, the church coming together, the elders of a church standing in, representing the church, coming together and praying a prayer of petition, requesting, humbly asking God to heal someone, knowing that sometimes he may, sometimes he may not. That's very different than a prayer of declaration from one individual, such as rise up and walk. It's not even a prayer. 
It's not even addressing God. Prayer is speaking to God. And yet we see the apostles, not even speaking to God, but merely speaking to men, rise up and walk. It's a command. It's a, it's a declaration. And it happens. And not in just a one-off instance, but like I said, it's, it's regular. It's frequent. It's often. Now we see with the apostles, Paul and the 12, we do see at least the suggestion, the implication that, that this nature of, of these confirming signs and wonders, these, this level of spiritual gifting does begin to dwindle as time goes on, right? Because, you know, Peter, I use the, the biblical example of his shadow healing the sick. Well, in the case of Paul, here's a similar example that I'm sure you're familiar with, but people were taking handkerchiefs from Paul and passing them around to those who were sick, and merely touching a, a, a piece of material, a piece of cloth. Paul could have been in another city, for all they knew. So Paul may not even be within 50 miles of this individual, and they're just touching a piece of cloth that Paul once touched, and being made well. Again, that's not a prayer petition. Paul's not even there. There's no words, there's no discourse, there's, no, there's nothing being said at all. Just somebody touching Paul's old, nasty used handkerchief, and they're healed. See, that's different. Were there many people who had sign gifts such as prophecy and tongues in the early New Testament church? Yes, but not like that. That was unique to these 13 men, these apostles. And so, the biblical criteria for an apostle in the narrow sense of the word, an apostle of Christ, is that these men were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord, Paul and the Twelve. And they regularly, not just in isolated instances, but they regularly, frequently performed massive scale, confirming signs and wonders. And yes, this began to dwindle. An example of that, just to give you a reference where I'm coming to that conclusion is, for instance, 1 Timothy, where Paul writes to Timothy, he says, no longer drink only water, but have a little wine for your stomach's sake, your frequent ailments. Right, well, I'm thinking, why not just, instead of giving him some kind of medical direction and instructions, you're the Apostle Paul, why don't you just seal up in that letter that you're sending to Timothy, one of your handkerchiefs? It's worked before, right? Aren't you the Apostle Paul? You don't need to tell Timothy to take medicine, to use wine medicinally for his ailments. Just in the letter, go ahead and seal up with it a used napkin, have him touch it, and we'll all be fine. See, that seems to me to suggest that there are other plausible explanations for that. I'm not saying this is the only explanation, but I think it's a reasonable one that that the gifts were starting to dwindle because, here's the deal, the purpose of it was not merely healing the sick. Does God care about people who are sick and want them to be well? Sure. In many cases, that is God's will. That is God's sovereign will in many cases, and that's certainly God's desired will for his people. However, there was another purpose when it comes to the signs and wonders of the apostles. It wasn't merely the good that it did for those individual people who were healed. But it was, they were signs. 
a sign, it points to something. It's, it's, it's not just someone gets healed and that's the sole exclusive benefit, but, but the healing of this individual is a sign. It serves as a sign that confirms the message. And in this particular case, it also confirms not only the message, but the man. It confirms that this person is indeed an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ and has indeed been commissioned by Christ with authority and power in order to minister in a unique way as an apostle in the narrow sense of the term. So three primary biblical criteria, eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord, that's number one. Number two is regularly performing mighty, big scale confirming signs and wonders, at least at the beginning of their ministry, for, for the first several years, as it confirmed their role, their, their title, their office of apostleship as apostles. And then the third criteria is that these men laid the foundation, not a foundation, the foundation for the church. Not just one church, like the church in Jerusalem, where the 12 served as elders, but for the church is, the capital C church. Not just one local church, but all the churches at that time and still to this very day. The foundation of biblical theology, the Christian faith, is a foundation that I'm not laying as an elder in my church. I'm simply relaying that foundation. I'm simply repeating and exegeting and expounding what that foundation is that has already been laid, not by me, but by Paul, by Peter, by James, by the apostles. In the narrow sense of the term, these 13 men, Paul and the 12, they were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord. They regularly performed mighty signs and wonders confirming their office as apostles. And they were commissioned by Christ with authority to lay once and for all the theological doctrinal foundation for all the churches in all places in all times that elders and pastors and evangelists moving forward might build upon that, but never, but never relay the foundation itself. Those are the three criteria. Eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord, confirming signs and wonders, and authority to lay the foundation for the Christian faith for all churches. Now, that is an apostle, of which we have 13. And that is an apostle in the narrow sense, as I've been saying, the narrow sense of the word. Now, when these men died, there were no successors. Apostolic secession is, is not a biblical principle. That is, that, that, that doctrine, that idea has no merit, no basis in the Word of God. Uh, it is a, a foundational doctrine in Roman Catholicism, but it is not biblical. These men, when they died, they had no successors. That is not to say that they weren't raising up men. Paul had his Timothy. He had his Titus. He had his Philemon. Like Paul was raising up men, but he wasn't raising them up to take his place in a one-to-one -one ratio as apostles. 
He was raising these men up as church planters, as elders, as pastors, as men who would do great things. They would go on to do incredible, wonderful things, but they would not be laying the foundation for the church. They would not be regularly performing high-scale signs and wonders, and they were not eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord. Apostolic succession is not a biblical doctrine. When these 13 men died, no one succeeded them. No one replaced them. But nevertheless, make no mistake, apostolic authority has been passed on to you and I all the way 2,000 years later to this very day, but only by virtue of the New Testament. See, I am not an apostle, but as an elder, when I stand in the pulpit and I begin to open and expound and exegete the Word of God and the writings of these men, these apostles, insofar as I am faithfully interpreting and faithfully applying their teaching, I am doing that with apostolic authority. But the apostolic authority is not innate to me. It's innate. It's not innate to the man, Joel Webin, in this particular case. It's innate. It's inherent to the message, their message. So apostolic authority has been passed on all the way to New Testament churches today. And it is still being exercised by those faithful men in faithful churches who faithfully teach the apostles' doctrine. Now, that's the word apostle in the narrow sense, but the word apostle also has a broader sense. And that's why it gets muddy. That's why there's some confusion about the matter. See, the word apostle, as far as its literal definition, it means sent one, or one who is sent, one who is sent out. <laughs> At one sense, an apostle is, in the narrow sense of the term, it's a it's a person who's an eyewitness of the resurrected Lord, doing mighty signs and wonders, and has been commissioned by Christ with authority to lay once and for all the, not a, but the foundation for the New Testament church and the Christian faith. In the other sense, though, an apostle technically is a glorified errand boy. It's just someone who's sent out to do something to fulfill a task. And that is technically a proper use. We see in the New Testament is a proper use of the word apostle. So in the broad sense, the word apostle is used to refer to other individuals outside of the 13 men, the 12 and Paul. And that's why there's so much confusion and I think debate on this issue. Because to be fair, the New Testament does use the word apostle, which literally means sent one, one who is sent out. The, the New Testament uses this term apostle to refer to individuals such as not just Paul and the 12, but Barnabas. We see that in Acts chapter 14, verse 4. Or Silas. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. And Andronicus and Junius. We, we see this in Romans chapter 16, verse 7, and 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23. See, all of these individuals that I've just mentioned were sent out by the churches to perform various ministries of evangelism, of, of 
preaching and teaching, of, of um, serving as overseers or an elder of a church. All these people were sent out, and therefore the New Testament rightly refers to them in the broader sense as apostles, because the word apostle and the most literal definition of the term, in the technical sense, it literally just merely means sent out, sent one. And so Barnabas was sent. He was sent by the church at Jerusalem down to the church at Antioch. Barnabas is an apostle in that broader sense of the word. Silas is an apostle. He was sent. Andronicus and Junius are apostles. And the New Testament refers to them precisely as such. But that doesn't mean that the New Testament is saying that these individuals were apostles in the same sense as Paul in the Twelve. We must understand that the word apostle is used in at least two different ways. And again, I think that is the source of confusion on this particular issue. Going on in your notes, I've written this. Today's equivalent of, of this kind of, if you will, lowercase a apostle, using the word apostle in the broader sense, simply one who is sent out to perform various ministries. Today's equivalent of an apostle, this kind of apostle, would be a missionary or a church planter. See, assuming that these individuals are biblically qualified for the task, according to 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, that the qualifications that we find in Scripture, assuming these individuals are actually biblically qualified for the specific task of ministry that they've been sent out to do, and they've been sent and blessed to do it, sent out by a, a biblical church, a faithful church, assuming that all this is the case, then these individuals would, in the broader sense of the term, be apostles. And it's technically fair and appropriate and biblically accurate to refer to them as such. Because they have been sent out. They are sent once. However, this is my, it's not a command. Scripture doesn't command it. But this is my counsel. I think that this language is generally unhelpful, referring to missionaries and church planters as apostles. I, I think it's generally unhelpful, even though it's technically true, because I think it's confusing, because the New Testament presents at least two types of apostles. There's that capital A, eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord, Paul and the Twelve Apostles, in the narrow sense of the term, which we have no longer not living, we still have their authority inscripturated for us in the New Testament, but, but we don't have that those apostles living today. And yet the scripture also talks about this lowercase a, apostles, sent ones, those who are sent out, glorified erinders, ministry errand boys, like a Barnabas or, or like a Silas, and, and yes, we still have those. And yes, technically a church planter, if he's sent out by another biblically faithful church and he is biblically faithful himself, he would be, it is accurate, it is fair to refer to him as an apostle, but it just, it's the same word. And anytime you're using the same word and it conveys two different things, it just, you, you stand the chance, the potential of things getting a bit confusing. So not a command, but my counsel would be, I don't think it's helpful to use the term apostle to describe people today because there are two types of apostles and the word is used in two senses. Now, the easiest way to say it, rather than capital A apostle, I've heard people use that language and lowercase a apostle. Here's the best way to use it. See, the best way to distinguish between the two types of apostles is this. The apostle 
literally means, once again, sent one, one who is sent out. So here's the bottom line. Here's how you distinguish between the two types of apostles. You distinguish by determining who they're sent from. See, Barnabas was an apostle of the church because he was a sent one sent out by the church. Whereas Paul was an apostle of Christ because he was commissioned and sent out by Christ. So the, the best way to, to, the best labels, if you will, for describing these two apostles, rather than there's capital A apostles and lowercase a, just say this, apostles of Christ and apostles of the church. Apostles of Christ, we've only ever had 13. Paul and the 12, eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord endowed with miraculous power and unique apostolic authority for laying once and for all the foundation for all the New Testament churches for all time. Apostles of Christ, sent out by Christ. Apostles of the church could be missionaries, church planters, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And they're sent not by Christ, but by the church, not to lay a foundation, but simply to build upon that foundation that has already been laid. So here's a little lesson on apostleship. As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com slash offer. We highly recommend Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com slash offer. And thank you for your generous support.